About three weeks ago, I went to an auction, a farmyard auction with my father-in-law in Dauphin. And I love going to auctions. There's something about an auction. See, if you don't go, you might miss out on something. And who knows, you may even find something that you really, that you discovered you wanted and but really didn't need. But who's going to know? You might miss something. Auctions are exciting to go to. So this particular one that I went to with my father-in-law, there was uh, some tools in a box that came up for sale. And I started bidding on this. They started off at a dollar, you know. We give a dollar, two dollars, two dollars. We give three dollars, three dollars, four dollars. And I'm at about four or five dollars. And my father-in-law is at a different part of the crowd. So I'm bidding on this box of tools. I didn't know he's bidding on it too. So I'm bidding against my father-in-law. So I, I went up to $6, and then I said, no. And so, sold, $7. And come, up, back comes my father-in-law with this box of tools. And I said, I didn't know you were bidding on that. I was too. I said, you paid way too much. I bid you up. <laughs> but there's nothing like an auctioneer looking straight into your eyes and saying, sold. Your number, please. And you're praying, did I get a good deal or not? Well, the auctioneer looked at me a couple of times and said that, sold, your number please. There was a couple of bundles of wrenches. And I think I bid $7, so he looked at me, sold, your number please. I walked up, made my way to the front of the crowd to get my goodies and tripped over a piece of angle iron or something that that someone else bought right in my pathway. Made a big scene. Made my presence known. <laughs> How embarrassing. Picked up the tools and then, man, it was a hot day. It was such a hot day. I had nowhere to sit, so a box came up for auction. I bid on that box, $2 for a box to sit on. I said, I can't go wrong. <laughs> well, there were about 100 people at this auction and, and they were of the same mind. This could be the real deal. This is a great opportunity. And they wanted to seize those moments. So if I stay home, they're thinking someone else is going to go home with all of my goodies with them. Have you ever had nightmares about the possibility of missing golden opportunities? Have you ever looked back at a moment that, <coughs> that you seized and you look back upon that moment and you had a heat flash because you thought, what if I had not walked through that open door? That happened to me, happens to me many times. I think back upon an opportunity. God, what if I had not gone through that door? What if I had missed it? One of them is in 2002 when, when I became senior pastor of this church. What if I said, would have said, no, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm comfortable in this church that I'm now pastoring in Thompson. What if I'd have said no? And sometimes I wake up and think, what if I would have not gone through those doors and you get kind of a heat flash? But I'm glad that I seized the moments. Glad that I walked through the doors that God had opened up. Lord, I pray for your word this morning as I share and as you minister I pray through me by your Holy Spirit to empower, to impact, and to transform. We never want to be the same. Lord, there's growth taking place even in the middle of the summer. There's rest times, 
peaceful times. We know that. But, Lord, this can also be growing times. And, Lord, I'm gearing up for the fall already. I'm gearing up for an incredible fall season. And I don't want any moments to be missed. And I pray, Lord, first as a congregation that even though we're in a vacation mode, that we look forward to September, look forward to the singing Christmas tree, look forward to the fall ministries that will begin to start up pretty soon. And we'll recognize and realize this is, for me, it's a great season. And I don't want to miss anything. So God, I pray you'd empower, impact, and transform this morning. Amen. Stand with me. We're going to read my text. First uh, Kings chapter 20. My Bible, verse 35, says, The prophet condemns Ahab. It's Ahab. We're going to read. That print's bigger, so I'm going to go with that print. Verse 35. By the word of the Lord, one of the company of the prophets said to his companion, Strike me with your weapon. But he refused. So the prophet said, Because you have not obeyed the Lord, as soon as you leave me, a lion will kill you. And after the man went away, a lion found him and killed him. Exhorting so far, isn't it? Verse 37, the prophet found another man and said, Strike me, please. So the man struck him and wounded him. Then the prophet went and stood by the road waiting for the king. He disguised himself with his headband down over his eyes. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, Your servant went into the thick of the battle, and someone came to me with a captive and said, Guard this man. If he's missing, it'll be your life for his life, or you must pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. That is your sentence, the king of Israel said. You pronounce it upon yourself. Then the prophet quickly removed the headband from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. He said to the king, this is what the Lord says. You have set a man free, I have determined should die. Therefore, it's your life for his life, your people for his people. Sullen and angry, the king of Israel went to his palace in Samaria. You may be seated. I wonder, maybe if you're thinking, what can you pull out of this text? Here's what I pull from this text this morning. It can be summed up this way. Are you seizing or are you snoozing? Are you seizing or are you snoozing? See, the older I become, the more risks I find that I'm willing to take. Now, there was a period in my life where I felt pretty comfortable. But now that I'm approaching age 55, I find myself thinking and saying, Gary, you've got to take more risks. You've got to run for the end zone like you never have done so before. I was talking to my neighbor the other day, and the, the, the deer ate his trees over the wintertime. And he had these nice pine trees that were up here, but they're all nothing left. And I said, well, you get some trees. And I said, well, you can buy these little trees. I said, I, I don't have a lot of time. i got to get big trees. He's a senior, and he said, i got to get big trees because I don't have a lot of time. Time is rushing on. Our lives will be over like this. It's now that we've got to seize the moments. It's now we've got to take bigger risks than we ever have done so before. And I feel that in my own ministry, in my own life. Gary, take some more risks. Isn't it true that they say 
seniors, they've talked to them in their older age and, and they say, I wish when I was younger that I'd have taken more risks. And I keep picturing this dear senior sitting in a rocking chair. That dear senior is me. And I don't know how many years from now, should the Lord tarry and I remain, but I was sitting in a rocking chair and I don't want to be sitting in a rocking chair in the front porch or somewhere sitting and rocking saying, God, I would have, I should have, I could have, why didn't I? And those things start, are really beginning to rivet in my mind and, and I'm thinking about it constantly. Should have, could have, would have, I don't want to be in that state years to come. But I want to sit back in my rocking chair whenever that might be and thank God I'm grateful that I seized the moments. God, I went through those open doors. God, I ran for the end zone. God, I was not content with the present. My greatest fear lately is that I miss the good, golden, and ripe opportunities from God. This past March, as you remember, we went to two Sunday morning services. Was that a bit risky? Yes, it was. Would the church go for it? I don't know. We had favorable responses and, and did all that we should do at preliminary work and meeting with people. But really, the congregation and the future would tell. It was a bit risky. I look back over the, the adventure we had from March to June, and I look back, and then I get kind of a cold sweat. Because what if we wouldn't have? What if we said, we're content, our church is full, things are great, why would we ever want to risk something else? And I get a heat flash because, God, I'm grateful that we took the risk. And we begin our two Sunday morning services again in September. We're not content to be in the comfort zone. And I pray as a congregation you feel the same way. You're not content to remain the same. But you want to grow. You want to move on. You want to adventure. You want to take some calculated risks and go for what God Go for the goal and go for what God wants you to do. The pastor, Pastor Dan Betzer, pastors in Fort Myers, Florida, First Assembly of God. I think he's tried to retire a couple of times. They brought him back, but he's seasoned pastor. And I watched a, a portion of his a message he delivered, I believe, to his congregation at our last board meeting. And he said, after all these years of pastoring, I finally wrote a book. My book is called Pastoring for Dummies. And he said, my book has three chapters in it. The first chapter is this. Love the people. Love the people. And my second chapter is this. Feed the people. Now, there's not, that's all it is. That's his book. Love the people is the first chapter. Great advice. For a pastor, second chapters, feed the people. But it's the third chapter that really got my attention. Here's what it is. Don't do anything stupid. And I thought, that's good advice, isn't it? Good advice for pastors. Don't do anything. Look, I know of lots of pastors who have done stupid things. Stupid. And you, you want to go up to them and, and shake them and say, what were you thinking? Stupid things. One of those stupid things is to miss the ripe seasons and opportunities that God brings before you. And that's my prayer, Lord. I wouldn't do anything stupid like snoozing when I should be seizing, running, or sleeping when I should be running, daydreaming when I should be doing, 
seizing the moment. You see, we're in, we're in one of the greatest seasons, I believe, in the history of our church. And God is doing incredible things in us and through us. And I love to tell people about our church. I love to phone home and speak to my mother and, and tell her, Oh, Mama said our church is going great. I love to talk to my sisters and say, Pat or Karen, things are going great in our church. I love the season that we're in. And that's why sometimes I get the heat flashes. Because what if, what if, what if we miss? What if, what if we get comfortable? What if, what if we fail to, to go beyond the borders, the comfort borders? Fall season is going to be very exciting. See, great seasons demand greater responsibilities. Great seasons demand greater God consciousness. Great seasons demand a greater dependency upon God. Great seasons demand praying with greater intensity. Great seasons demand seizing the present God moments like never before. You snooze, you lose. You snooze, you, you pay the price. You snooze, you miss out. You see, there's no room for error in this season of our church. This really is a September message. Now I might preach it again if I feel like it. But it's really for September or August. It's not the type you'd normally hear. But I'm, I'm in September already. Not for the snow, no. But I'm ready for the next chapter. There's no room for error. We've got to be right on the mark as a church and as a leadership. See, the crew on the last space shuttle, Atlantis mission, they knew that there's no room for error when docking with the space station. It must be precise timing and motion come together. A surgeon knows that when he's operating on a patient, there is no room for error. It can be devastating. It can be a life. I remember when I was having an operation, 1996, for a hernia. They get me ready to go into the room, laying on the, the thing. What do you call that thing? Big words, stop me. I'm laying there, and the nurse puts a piece of masking tape on my forehead, right here. So finally, I get up the nerve. I didn't want to appear stupid. But I asked her, what's that there for? She said, that's to tell the surgeon what side to operate on. And I said, but if the hernia is not here, it's here. I had a heat flash. I said, boy, I'm glad I'm staying awake for this. Well, I just had the spinal from here down. And I remember lying in the, the bed. Yeah. And I was froze from here down. And what was going through my mind is if there's a fire, I'll never get out of here. That's all I could think about. But I'm glad. I said, it's not on this side, it's that side. There's no room for error. There's no room to make mistakes. I'll stay awake for sure for this one, I said, to make sure. Well, they have, you know, anyways. You get the picture. Somewhere here I was talking about something. So my text this morning is about missing God's best. My text this morning is about missing, you know, those golden opportunities and there being no room for margin for error. My text is about God's precise word. 
you know what it is? It's a word against sloppy pastoring. It's a word against laziness in the pews. It's a word against snoozing instead of seizing. Now, the main characters in my text are King Ben-Hadad. An H in there stumps me. And he's the king of Aram and King Ahab, king of Israel. So the main characters are King Ben-Hadad, King Ahab, and a prophet of God. And the story is found in 1 Kings chapter 20. King Ben-Hadad is seeking revenge at this particular point in my text. The year before, he got his army together, and they've been badly beaten by King Ahab. So Ben-Hadad, he is back. He's going to regroup. He's going to rebuild. He says, I'm going back against King Ahab, and I'm going to take care of this king. But he got severely beaten again. King Ahab and the Israelites inflicted 100,000 casualties, and the rest of the soldiers fled to the city of Aphek, where a wall collapsed on them, and 27,000 died. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 29. You can read the story when you go home, but not now. <laughs> you can if you like. <laughs> but, you know, we get that. But I want you to get the bigger picture here. It's much bigger. There's a battle. This battle's not just against King Ahab and King Benhadad, but this battle was between God's people and the enemy of this world. That's really who this battle was against. In this battle, it seemed that Israel and King Ahab were outnumbered. The odds were stacked against them. First Kings chapter 20, verse 27, it says that we're to compare their troops to goats. King Ahab and the Israelites would be like two small flocks. While King Ben-Hadad and his troops would be like goats that covered the entire countryside. It seemed like an impossible win. How can we go against Benhadad and all these troops? And we just got a couple of flocks of goats and they got a, a countryside. But here was God's word to the Israelites. He said, I'll deliver this vast army into your hands and you'll know that I am the Lord. I'm going to use these young officers, these young whippersnippers. I'm going to use these young guys and, and you'll see what I can do. And he said, I'm going to do it because I want you to know that I am God. You know that over and over, God says this in the Old Testament. When he goes and he speaks to his people and he says, yeah, yeah, it's impossible on yourself. But I want you to know that I'm God. I'm going to show you something that will astound you. So let there be never any doubts. I'm God. I'm powerful. I'm mighty. I take care of things. I can bring victories. God never wants there to be any doubt. See, powerful things can come in small packages when God is in it. David and Goliath. You go all through the Bible. Powerful things can come in small packages when God's anointing and God's power, when He's involved and He's there and called upon and listened to. Odds stacked against the people of God mean nothing to God. See, God has a word to your odds. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in your problems and your troubles. Two little flocks of goats compared to, well, I live next to the Grand Valley, so 
through a grand valley full of goats, two little flocks. It seems like we can't do it, but God would say, not a problem, not a problem. Put your trust in me. Put your faith in me. God said to Gideon as he was preparing to go up against 135,000 Midianites. He said, 300 men will do the job just fine. And Judges chapter 7, he says this. God says this to Gideon. Why? So that you will know that I am God. I don't want there to be any doubt. God said to Joshua, as he found himself up against these huge Jericho walls, God says, this is nothing. So a little praise and worship, a little praise and worship walk won't take care of. This is nothing compared to a little calling on God. Why? Because I want you to know I'm God. I want you to know who I am. I'm God of the universe. Down came the walls. Odds stacked against you mean absolutely nothing to God. See, God brings the victory. Why? So we get the message. God brings the victory. We get the message. Here's the message. Not by might, not by power, but it's by my spirit. Not your power. Not how strong you are. Not how well you can talk. But that we will know it is by his power. With man, the Bible says things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So God wants to remove the doubt from our minds. We serve an all-powerful God. I don't know what you've come here with this morning, what's heavy upon your heart, but God wants you to know that odds stacked against you mean nothing when you're a child of the King, calling upon His name, surrendered to Him, and walking in obedience to Him. God says, odds are nothing. Let me take it by the reins. Give it to me. You rest, I'll work. And just let me work things out through you. Oh, God wants to remove all the sufficiency, the self-sufficiency in our minds. It's not about you. It's not about your power. It's all about God's power. It's all about God working through us. Last week, I began to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And I found that oftentimes, Paul in his ministry, he was, he, wasn't he like an underdog? His battles were always bigger than he was. His battles were always bigger than his personal self-resources that he had within himself. And I looked at some of the phrases he used. He said, I'm weak. He said, I'm hard-pressed. He said, I'm in danger. He said, I'm on the run. He said, I'm no match. He said, I'm not able. He said, I am the least. He was always making underdog statements because within himself he recognized and realized he cannot do it. But I love his words. He didn't stop. See, if you stay there too long, you'll just beat yourself into the ground. But that's not where he stopped. Paul kept on going. He said, yes, I recognize in myself. But in 2 Corinthians 2, or 12, verse 9, he says, I will boast. I can boast in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. I empty myself. I, I come before the Lord and I, and I know that I can't do this, but with God's power upon me, God's anointing, God's Holy Spirit, God smothering me and engulfing me and filling me up, I can do this. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. I love those statements. An underdog that comes out on top every time. I love his words in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. 
He leads us in a victory march. He leads us in a parade of victory that people of God can march on and lead on as a family of God saying that God is leading us in a victory celebration. And Paul said, that's what God does for me. When I give myself away, when I acknowledge my weakness, when I acknowledge my power failures, my personal power failures, I can be strong in the Lord. And then, by the power of God, I walk in total victory day after day. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. He said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Everything. That is success through God. Well, King Ahab, well, no doubt King Ahab experienced a season of success. The thrill of victory over King Ben-Hadad. And it was a great momentum builder. As I said earlier, this is where the danger can come in. There's danger when success is happening. If we're not sober, if we're not alert, we can actually go in reverse. Success can be a, a vulnerable place to be in. You see, they often say that that's when, in the history of Christians, Christianity could tell us this, when things are great, we stop praying. When things are great, we let our boundaries down. When things are great, we stop venturing. When things are great, we start slipping into comfort zones. When things are great, we can become very, very vulnerable. So in the strength and heat and passion, victory and the joy of success, King Ahab, he totally misses the mark. He misses the opportunity and he doesn't seize the moment. Well, in my text, after King Ahab severely beat King Ben-Hadad, King Ben-Hadad comes to him and and he says, oh, just let me, he, he wants freedom. I know that these guys are powerful and they've whipped us. So it comes to Ahab, King Ahab, can you let me go free? I mean, let's let's have a treaty here. I'll give back to you. I'll repay. Let me go free. And so Ahab makes a treaty with him and he let him go. He missed the open window. Many stories in the Bible fascinate me. This is one of them. There's just so much in there. I mean, there could be a movie. In many of the texts in the Old Testament. And so the prophet of God waits by the roadside for King Ahab. His face now is covered. It's the man that speaks for the Lord. And as Ahab comes by, he yells out, I was in a battle. And someone brought me a prisoner and said, Keep this man. If he gets away, you'll have to answer with your life. While I was busy, the man, he got away. So Ahab, King Ahab says, well, what you've done is you've just pronounced doom upon yourself. So immediately, what a story. Immediately the prophet, he pulls the cover off his face. And he says, this is what the Lord says to you. Moment of truth. This is what the Lord says to you. You have set a man free that I have determined should die. Ahab, you've missed the opportunity. Ahab, who did not seize the moment. You missed it. I mean, this guy has been causing you heartache for years. 
This could have been your greatest success, but you did not seize the moment. Now, your study, King Ahab, you know, he's a bad king. He had some good times. He faced, but, but, but he failed to seize many godly moments, and he had a sad ending to his life. But the Bible says up to this point that King Ahab was the worst king that Israel has ever had. Why? He missed the great opportunities. He missed one here. He missed other ones further back in his life too. And he came up to a sad ending. Why? He missed. He missed. He missed. He missed. He missed. God was there. Prophets were there. The word was there. But he missed it. Oh, when I read this text, God, I don't want to miss it. In the middle, and heat of success, when things are going marvelous in our church, I don't want to miss it. Prophet said to him, "You're busy with the wrong things." Wow, you're busy with the wrong things. What a message to us as pastors. Busy with the wrong things. What a message to our church in the midst of this great season that we've just come through and still are in. Pastor Dan Betzer's words come to me again. Gary, don't do anything stupid. Stupid. See, we can be busy with the wrong things. As a church, as a leadership, we can be busy polishing our successes. We get our success stories out. Make them nice and shiny. We get busy admiring past moments that we've seized. We look back. Wow, that was a great singing Christmas tree last year. Wow, that was a great, great season. Man, last year we had the season of adventure. Our church grabbed a hold of that. And today, this year, we can look back and say, wow, that was exceptional. And we can start looking back and admiring the moments that we've seized in the past and be grateful for them. And we can be busy feeling pretty good about our accomplishments. Oh, here's what I did before. Here's what I did last year. And I feel pretty good. Vulnerable. Scary places to be in. You see, we cannot camp. We cannot stay. We cannot be content. We've got to move on. We've got to move on. No matter how great it was in the back. We don't want to be busy with the wrong things as a church. I don't want to be busy with the wrong things. This fall, I wrestled for quite some time for a theme. I had some content together for some messages. I, I worked on some messages and I had the content, but I didn't have the theme. I wrestled a long time with a the theme. Themes are important to me. So I'm going to go with this. And if I change it, I'll let you know. <laughs> the just factor coming in September. The just factor. And I'm going to share six messages or seven or whatever. Right now, I've got six planned on if we, what if we just, and I'm going to fill in this one word each week. What if we just, it's about moving on. It's about moving on. Last year was the adventure, and the adventure will still continue. But we can't get comfortable 
the just factor. What that will do in our lives. We've got to seize more moments. We've got to walk through the open doors that God is going to lead us to in the future. And then following that, I think I'm going to speak a little bit on the great escape. I just want you to know the plans that we've got in the future. The just factor before Christmas, the great escape. And planning these things out just stirs me up inside and fires me up inside about our future and about walking through the opportunities and about the new season. We're on a journey, church. We're on the move. We're not camping. We're not staying. We're not in comfort zone. We're moving on. How many think that's what God wants the church to do? Move on. Our greatest moments in our church are yet before us. Don't polish the past moments. The greatest opportunities are still before us. If, if we just keep obeying God and seeking first His kingdom, not ours. Oh yeah, there's some conditions. If we know our positions, He's God, He's Lord, not us. If we humble ourselves under His hand, our greatest moments and opportunities are still before us. If we know our positions, if we keep working and ministering together with one heart, if we remain united under one purpose, it's when the church doesn't know the purpose and everyone's running in different directions, you've got problems. It's when people fail to edify each other, you've got problems. There are some conditions. If we watch our tongues and use them only to build up and to edify each other. Those are the conditions. You can't divide a church when you've got those packages together. You can't destroy a church when you've got those things together. That will be a powerful movement when you've got those things together in a package. You depend upon God and you love each other. And you only say things that will build up the church and move the church on. Wow. That will impact our city like Never. Like never it has ever been in the past. Our greatest moments are before us. In 2002, when I became pastor of this church, I remember standing at this pulpit here and saying in my sermon before this church, before the membership even voted, in that hot July afternoon, morning, I should say. Sunday morning with so hot. You remember those days? Wow, isn't this nice? Some just came to church this morning because of the air conditioning, I know. I remember saying to the church, I only want what God wants. And that was right from my heart. It wasn't too eloquent. I only want what God wants. And today, these years later, that's still my number one. Probably more than ever before. I only want what God wants. And Gary, don't do anything stupid. That's a high one too, since I heard that one. I only want what He wants. 
And as a church, if we have that same heart, that same passion, that same desire, wow, will God use us this year? Will God use you this summer? We can either snooze or seize. We can either coast, sit back, be grateful. Okay, now let's bask in it. No. We can either venture or vegetate. We can either become lazy or become more fired up. You know which one I choose. And I just want to instill that in our church in this midsummer message. Stand with me. Why don't you sing with Risha as she sings?